Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. It's good to see everyone this evening. We're grateful for your presence. We are missing quite a few folks tonight. I guess they're still visiting with the Easter Bunny. I'm not sure, but hopefully and prayerfully they will be back Wednesday night and then Sunday. We did have a great morning. We had a large number of folks that assembled this morning. We had 298, I believe. And I said, surely there were two people present that were carrying babies. And I saw one lady. So that bumped it to 299. And so if anyone out here is pregnant and you were here this morning, we want to hear from you. <laughs> That would get us to 300 and we would be grateful. We're going to be looking tonight at Ephesians 4.27, the passage that was read a moment ago. As we think about the theme, don't give up ground to the devil. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. The devil, of course, is trying to the best of his ability to get a foothold in our lives. And so what we have to do is guard our turf, guard our ground. We want, to, we want to try to shut the devil out of our lives. And so I want us to begin by thinking about the danger of giving up ground to the devil. And then we're going to talk about the duty of guarding our ground from the devil. Let me begin by just talking about some facts as we think about the danger of giving up ground to the devil. There are, some, there are some reasons why I believe we as members of the human family sometimes succumb to the work of the devil. Sometimes we give up ground or we allow him to gain a foothold in our lives. I want to begin by saying that one reason is because of ignorance. There's something to be said about being forearmed. And there are a lot of folks that fall prey to the devil because they misunderstand some things about the devil. First, they misunderstand his task, and then secondly, they misunderstand his tactics. If we're going to guard ourselves and guard our turf, then we've got to understand how the enemy operates. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He would go on to say in verse 9, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. And so we know that the devil is lurking. He's doing everything within his power to circumvent or destroy our faith in Almighty God. He wants, he wants to see us as spiritual casualties before the Lord. And then I think about those who misunderstand his tactics. The devil uses any number of devices to lure people into a life of sin. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11 would say, we're not ignorant of the devices of Satan. And those who are ignorant of his devices ultimately fall prey to his tactics. John tells us that the devil uses the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to circumvent the faith of people. And so there are a lot of folks in our world today, they have given up ground simply because they just don't understand how the devil operates. They misunderstand his task and his tactics. And then there's a second thing that I would call attention to, and that is some people give up ground to the devil because of intimidation. We've been very blessed in our country to live in a land that allows us religious freedom. There are many people in past civilizations, past, past nations or kingdoms that have not been so fortunate. And so as I think about this idea of intimidation, it seems to me that in our country today and in many sectors of society, that God, Christ, and the Bible have become public enemy number one. And there has been what I would call the public silencing of God in a number of ways. Number one, there is the silencing of God's word from the pulpit. Now we think about preachers and their role or their task. God has used proclaimers of his word down through the ages. We look back to the Old Testament and we think about the prophets of old. The prophets were not popular men, by and large. As a matter of fact, they were looked down upon, ridiculed, and some, like Jeremiah, were imprisoned. But I want to call attention to a prophet by the name of Amos. Amos, in the long ago, was basically told by Amaziah the priest of Bethel to get out of town. He told Amos, the prophet, to go to the land of Judah. And he said, there prophesy, and there eat bread. But he said, I don't want you, I don't want you preaching in Bethel any longer. Think about how there are some today that have sought to muzzle those who would proclaim the word of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. God had a son, and that son was a preacher. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us that he began his public ministry saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was a great preacher. I think about Jonah. Jonah had the awesome task of going to Nineveh and calling on those people to repent. Initially, he rejected that plea from God. And then, having been summoned again, he accepted the challenge, went to Nineveh. The people believed, they repented, and God averted the disaster that was to come upon them. But look at our nation today and look at the church today. Is it not the case that the devil can get a foothold in the lives of people when the word of God is not proclaimed, when it's not preached as it should be? Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 said to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Brother Marshall Keeble used to say, you preach the word of God when people like it and when they don't like it. The bottom line is people need to hear the word of God. Amos in chapter 8, verse 11, talked about there being a famine of hearing the word of God, hearing the word of the Lord. And then Solomon in Proverbs chapter 29 
said, where there is no vision, that being prophetic revelation, the people perish. And he said, they cast off restraint. The idea is that wherever God's word does not go, anarchy reigns, doesn't it? There's a second way that God's word or the will of God has been silenced from a public standpoint. And I think about from the vantage point of praying. When I was growing up, it wasn't a problem to pray publicly. We prayed at school. You could pray in other, other areas. People prayed at ball games, etc. That's not the case today. A lot of battles are being waged in this country over the right to pray to Jehovah God. You remember in the long ago Daniel in chapter 6? Daniel, of course, was cast into a den of lions because he prayed to God as he had always done. Some of those that were against Daniel, the great prophet, they sought to undermine him and so they came up with a petition that was signed off on by the king, Darius. Darius, of course, was the king of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel, even though no one in the land was to pray to any god or man for 30 days, Daniel did not allow that to deter him. So we talk about the public silencing of Almighty God. First, there's the silencing of God from the pulpit. And then I think about prayer, public prayer. And then thirdly, what about the precepts of God? I mentioned a moment ago how when I was growing up, I had the opportunity, we could, we could pray at school, we could pray at ball games. Such is not the case today. I have mentioned before that in my desk I have a copy of a small New Testament that was given to me when I was in the sixth grade. Think about how radically different our world is today. I said that we have, in many respects, we have looked at God, Christ, and the Bible as public enemy number one. And there are those today that do not want the word of God to be read. They want to take it out of the hands of the people. Well, in Jeremiah chapter 36, there is a great passage that I think has a lot of application for those of us who are living today. Jeremiah the prophet began his prophecies on the eve of Babylonian captivity. And God instructed Jeremiah in the long ago to go before the king and let him know that disaster's coming. The intent was that the people would turn from their ways and God could forgive them and the disaster could be averted. And so we find the king, Jehoiakim, having the opportunity to hear the word of God. You know what he did? The Bible says that he didn't like what he heard. And so he took a scribe's knife and cut out the word of God and then threw it into the fire and burned it up. And the Bible says they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments. The king 
nor any of his servants who heard all the words. Let me just pause there and say this. There's a battle going on, and the devil's doing everything that he can to gain ground in the lives of people. He's doing it publicly. He's also doing it privately. But we talk about the importance of God's holy word. And there are some today, like Jehoiakim, they don't like what they hear from the word of God. So you know what they do? They cast it from them. But listen, please, very carefully. People, people may not like what they hear from the Word of God. They may not like what is written in the Word of God, but it is what it is. It says what it says. It stands for what it stands. It's not changing. The psalmist in Psalm 119.89 said, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And so, yes, there are those that would try to silence the precepts of God. We don't want to hear it. There are some that have an agenda. They want to eradicate the Word of God. Well, the fact of the matter is, they may succeed, but God's word will endure forever. And it will continue to say what it has said throughout generations. And ultimately, we will be judged by that word. And then there is what I would call the private silencing of the word of God. Let me just talk for a minute about how God's word is being silenced privately. I want to begin by talking about the family. We have said before, and I believe it to be the case, that as the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble today because the home's in trouble. If we can turn the home around, then we can turn our nation around. And so it only stands to reason that the devil would do everything within his power to destroy the home. Think for a minute about marriage. Marriage is a divine institution ordained by Almighty God, one of three divine institutions, the other two being the church and the civil government. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. There are a lot of folks in our country, in our world today, that have allowed the devil into their homes. And you know what he's done? He's destroyed their marriages. He's turned their marriages upside down. He's driven a wedge between the husband and the wife. And then I think about the relationship that is to be enjoyed between the parents and the children. We talk about the devil getting a foothold in our homes, in our lives. What about what, about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He went on to say, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Listen, as parents, if we fail our children, if we fail to teach, to instruct, to guide, to encourage, we'll lose them. It's as simple as that. The devil's doing everything he can to get a foothold in our lives, in our homes. If we don't teach them, if we don't, if we don't set the right foundation for our children, they're going to be lost. And so what we have to do is muster the conviction. We have to do everything within our power to teach, 
encourage them in the precepts of Almighty God. And then I think about our personal faith. How strong is your faith? Did you know that there is a correlation between your faith and the time you spend studying the Word of God? If you're not spending time studying this Word, this book that we call Scripture, you're going to let the devil into your life. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, his response, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. There are a lot of folks in our world today that have said no to the Bible. There are some folks in the church. They're not as knowledgeable about God's word as they ought to be. Hosea in the long ago in chapter 4 verse 6 said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we're not studying and growing in the Lord, then as the Hebrew writer said, when by reason of time we ought to be teachers, we need someone to sit down and teach us, reteach us the ABCs of Christianity. The byproduct of our lack of knowledge is we're unable to discern between good and evil. We don't have the right kind of faith. Listen, if we're not studying and growing in the Lord, we're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as Paul said in Ephesians 4.14. So, the devil from a private standpoint is silencing God. Where? Beginning with our families, collectively, and then individually with our own faith. And then I think about our focus. How often do we lose focus in this life? Let me ask this question. What's your, what's your objective in life? What's your singular most important objective in life? Is it to have a good job? Is it to have a dream home? Is it to have a nice automobile? Is it to serve God? Is it to live a faithful life? Is it ultimately to be with God one day in heaven? Hopefully and prayerfully, our objective, our goal, is to go to heaven. But there are a lot of folks in our world that are what? There are a lot of folks in our world today that are influencing us, causing us to lose focus. And so Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But the world's tugging at us. Sometimes we get so involved in the activities and affairs of life that we forget about God our commitment to God. Did you know in Romans chapter 7 verse 4 the Bible says that we have been married to Christ? In order for that love to be what it ought to be, then we've got to stay focused. We, we've got to understand that the devil is at work trying to deter us from living right, doing right, and ultimately going to heaven. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible talks about Demas. And Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas lost focus in life and became a spiritual casualty. And then what about faithfulness? Is it not the case that the devil can get a foothold in our life? And as a result of that, we lose sight of living faithfully day in and day out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Survey sometime 
the seven churches of Asia. It's interesting to me that the Lord chided the church at Ephesus because he said, you've left your first love in chapter 2, verse 4. In chapter 3, verse 1, he chided the church at Sardis because he said, you have a reputation, you have a name that you're alive. He said, but you're dead. And then in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, the church at Laodicea had become lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. What happened? Well, they lost focus. When you lose focus, you cease to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, let me just call attention to the duty that we have of guarding our ground from the devil. How do we do that? We understand that we're involved in a fight. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Don't, don't allow him to gain turf in your life. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to... How are you going to muster the ability to fight the devil? I've come up with what I believe to be four characteristics that will enable us to fight the devil. I was looking at these characteristics, and yesterday I had the opportunity to hear Jared at Forest Hill, and he was talking about living a selfless life for Christ. He talked about attitude and actions and associations, and our allegiance to the Lord. And I guess we could easily substitute those terms for the terms that I have. But I would begin by saying that as a child of God, number one, we've got to be armed. We've got to be equipped. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that we are soldiers of the Lord and we must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he would, he would say, wage a good warfare. So we're involved in a fight. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, listen to what Paul said. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. So number one, we've got to be armed. We've got to arm ourselves to defend ourselves against the enemy. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so we must arm ourselves with the right equipment. Now Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor that we are to, that we are to equip ourselves with. Listen to what he said in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, in light of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist or loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Look at verse 16. He said, above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What's the devil doing? He's trying to get ground in your life. He's trying to gobble up ground in your life, basically. He's trying to get a foothold in your life. And Paul is saying here, look, you take 
the shield of faith, and in so doing, you can quench all the fiery darts that the devil hurls against you. You're going to be more than equipped to stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the enemy. And then listen to him in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me just spend a minute or two and talk about God's holy Word. The psalmist in the long ago said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you in Psalm 119.11. If you will equip yourself with a working knowledge of God's word, you can defend yourself. If you don't know the word, you can't defend yourself. Remember what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 5, verse 14? He said that you might be able to discern between good and evil. How am I going to know the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil, if I don't know the word? The bottom line is I won't. I remember many years ago, I was with a friend of mine, and we were riding in an automobile, and he asked me a a biblical question. And he said, he, he said, what's the Bible say about that? He said, because I don't know. Well, the bottom line is, You need to know the Word. And the only way that you can know the Word is to delve deeply into it. Spend time in it. Listen, it'll take a lifetime to learn this book. You can always learn something new. We talk about understanding and acquiring a working knowledge of the first principles, fundamental truths. But then there are many truths, there are many things that are said in Scripture that you can can think about, meditate about, study about, it'll take you a lifetime to learn this book inside and out. And I would say that once we arm ourselves with Scripture, we have the responsibility of standing up and speaking out, of being a voice for truth. Do you remember Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 58? He said, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and tell my people their sins the house of Jacob, their iniquities. Is it not the case that we have the opportunity to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that we can be a voice for truth? The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If people in our world are going to learn what God wants them to know, then we have the responsibility of sharing that truth with them. Think about the eunuch in the long ago. It took personal contact for him to come to an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, Philip. And the eunuch, face to face, the eunuch asked Philip in the long ago, of whom speaketh the prophet, of himself or of some other man? You see, he needed someone to guide him. There are a lot of folks in our world today, basic, fundamental issues of life. They don't know them. We talk about helping people. Look, we can help people where they are in life. We can help them to be better citizens. We can help them to be better mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, better children. How? By our influence, by our teaching. Then there's a second thing. We must be armed and we must be aimed. If you don't 
If you don't make plans and prepare, you're preparing to fail. Listen very carefully, please. You want to go to heaven? You want to enjoy the blessings of Almighty God in this life and in the life to come? Then you've got to aim for heaven. You've got to set your sights on something higher than this world. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. There are a whole lot of folks in our world today, it's all about the here and now. They're not concerned about tomorrow. They're not concerned about next year or, next, or the next 10 years for that matter. They're certainly not concerned about eternity. So they have all kinds of troubles. And what we're saying is we need to aim higher. Paul in the book of Colossians said if then you be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. I want to challenge all of us to aim higher, to set our sights on heaven, to set our sights on the Lord, to determine right now, look, we're going to live for God come what may, day in, day out, doesn't matter. Because one day we want to be in heaven. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he talked about those who were minding earthly things in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. But he said in contrast to that, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you armed? Are you aiming for heaven? If you're not aiming for heaven, if you're not making preparation right now to one day be with God in heaven, in all probability, you're not going to get there. And so, please, aim. Aim high. Thirdly, what about our allies, our associations? What about the people that we associate with day in and day out? Did you know that there's a lot to be said for associating with God's people? We're talking about guarding our ground from the devil. How am I going to guard my turf, guard my ground? Number one, I've got to be armed. Number two, I've got to be aimed. And number three, I've got to have the right kind of associations. There is a lot of value in Christian fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Yesterday at Forest Hill, there were a lot of young people present for their youth day. I'm not sure how many were present, but they had a large number of, of kids. There, there is a lot to be said for young people spending time together. There's a lot to be said for older folks spending time together. Why? Because we're people of like faith. Think about when, when you're out in the workplace or you're at school, you're being bombarded by the world and by the thinking of the world and the actions of the world. Then when you get with God's people, you're able to re-identify with people of like faith. People that think like you do, act like you do, talk like you do, have the same aspirations as you. That's why it's so important for us to spend time with one another. The church is a great blessing. It is a privilege to be a member of the body of Christ. 
You know, one of the things that we have to offer right here at Olive Branch is fellowship. Look at all the young people here. What a blessing it is for them to have, to have opportunities to spend time together. They work, they study, and they play. That, that's the way it's supposed to be. You work, you study, you have times of recreation. So there's a lot to be said for Christian fellowship. If you're with the right kind of people, it's going to be hard for the devil to make an inroad in your life. Paul said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Evil companionship corrupts good morals, doesn't it? Solomon said, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. That's why it's so important to be with the right kind of people. He went on to say, a companion of fools leads to destruction. So if you're with the wrong kind of people, you're headed for trouble. And then finally, I want to say what we need to do to keep the devil out of our lives. We need to drop anchor. We need to anchor in with the Lord. The Hebrew writer in chapter 6 talks about Jesus Christ being the anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. What's an anchor do? If you're at sea, well, if you drop the anchor, it's going to secure your position. It's going to keep you from drifting. We need to anchor our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because we live in a world of trial, trouble, tribulation, and temptation. And if we're not careful, the waves of life can overcome us. And our faith can be toppled. But if we anchor with the Lord, we're going to be steadfast. We're not going to be moved by this and that. We're going to be rock solid. I want to ask tonight, when it comes to your life, are you guarding your ground? Are you living as the Lord would have you to live? Paul said, neither give place to the devil. The devil's doing everything he can to make an inroad in your life. And what we want to do is say, it's not happening here. We're not going to give him a foothold. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this hour of worship. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're mindful of the tactics of the devil and we pray that we would have the strength and fortitude to withstand. We pray, Father, that in times of weakness and, and in temptation, that we would be well equipped to overcome the adversary. Bless our young folks, give them strength. And may they live in such a way so that they can be a shining light for good in this community. Help all of us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you, come to Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Put your faith and trust in Him and come in simple trusting faith and obedience. 
Peter said on Pentecost Day, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you'll do that, the Lord will add you to the church. You'll be forgiven. You'll enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places according to Ephesians 1.3. You'll have the hope of life eternal. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful, your life is not what it ought to be, could we encourage you to come home? The Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is interested in you. And it may be that your life's not what it ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?